Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, Today is Tuesday, June 11th. And I want to start with an incredibly important story to me, a story that I think is one of the most important things I've ever talked about on Strong Opinion Sports. So, uh, it's, it's hard. It is. It's difficult for me. Um, I read a story this weekend, uh, and it, it made me cry. It caused me to have to stop what I was doing. I had to take some time and go grieve for a while. I just I had to take some hours out of my day this, uh, this weekend. And the story is that UTEP quarterback Kai Loxley was arrested. He's in some legal trouble. He was suspended by the UTEP football team. And I, I don't know Kai Loxley at all. I've never met him. I, honestly, I'd never even heard about him until I read this story about him. Um, I do know of his dad. I've never met his dad. Don't really know much about his dad, but I know that his dad is the University of Maryland head coach, Michael Loxley. Uh, Now, the most important part of this story to me was at the very bottom of the ABC News article that I read. It's the very last line, and it was treated kind of like a throwaway line. It was treated as if it was something that barely mattered to the story. and. You know, when I read it, I went, oh, and to me, it was the whole story. What I read was that two years ago, Kai Loxley's brother was shot and killed. And and right there, that's, I I broke down. I got on my phone. I I DM'd Kai Loxley on Instagram. I sent him my phone number. He hasn't reached out. He hasn't responded to me yet. Uh, But then I put on my Instagram story, hey, if anybody can get me in touch with Kai Loxley, please help me do that. I was very intense about it. it. It really matters to me. Because this is a guy, to me, who has made a mistake, who screwed up, and who needs compassion. I mean, the article said his brother was killed two years ago. That's not even true. It's been less than two years since his brother died. And my guess is that Kai Loxley is hurting a lot. And and legitimately, if anyone listening can get me in touch with Kai Loxley, please uh, help me do that. I I really want to talk to him. Uh, my brother died almost three years ago, a little over three years ago, and I still cry about it often. It's still a thing that really impacts me today, and I know how much that kind of loss can destroy you. When my brother died, I did not know how to grieve, didn't know how to deal with it. I dropped out of college. My long-term relationship fell apart. I was a complete mess, and I did not know how to deal with everything. And here's something I've never shared publicly. I don't know that even my dad knows this. Uh, I was so lost and so upset. I wasn't grieving the loss of my brother. And I became really reckless. I I got to the point where, you know, I had all these emotions. I wasn't dealing with them. And I was not, I was not suicidal. But I was in a place where if something really bad happened to kill me, that would have been okay. Because I just did not care about the consequences of my actions. Here's what I would do. What I would do is I would get really cheap whiskey. I would drink a whole bottle. I would puke a bunch, get really drunk. And then I would get in my car and I would drive around hoping that something bad happened to me. That's how dark it was. That's how bad things were. And and I saw the parallels because I read the story about Kyle Oxley. Dude was arrested in his car doing some dumb stuff. And it just struck a chord with me. I was like, man. And and I say all this because I I want people to know. And Kai, if you're listening, I know how hard it is to lose a brother. I know what that's like. 
And I, and I desperately would like to talk to you. Kai, if you're watching, please get in touch with me. I want to talk to you. I'd love to help you if I can. And, and maybe that's not my role in all of this. Maybe my role is just to share a story and someone else watching knows who he is and can help him. But when bad things in our lives happen, you have two options. You can either let it ruin your life or you can use it to use that pain, use that experience to become a better, stronger person. And I just, man, I, it's not too late for you, Kai. Kai, you can make a change. You got to grieve the loss of your brother. So my door is wide open. I would love to get in touch with you. If anyone listening can help me, please. I want to talk to this guy. I see a guy struggling. He just needs help and compassion. And I, I don't think the media is getting it right about this story. Uh, maybe I'm way off base. I, I don't think so, though. You know, when my brother died, it almost ruined my life. And I, and I don't want that same thing to happen to this guy, Kai Loxley, a, a fellow quarterback, a guy who's clearly struggling. And I, I just, man, I just thought this, this message was too important. I had to share this because I, Kai, again, I would love to talk to you. I, I sent you my phone number. Give me a phone call. I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to help you if I can. And by the way, everybody listening can learn from this. You know, um, no matter how old you are, no matter what kind of person is listening to this podcast, everybody listening can learn from this story. And that's that you're going to experience a brutal loss at some point in your life, maybe multiple. Like that's the sad reality of planet Earth. It sucks, but that's true. You have brutal, hard losses. And you got to learn how to grieve those losses. You don't move on. When your brother dies, you don't really move on. It doesn't go away. It's not like, oh, I'm over it now. No, I will always grieve the loss of my brother. It will always be something that bothers me. But what you can do is move forward. I tried to move forward with my life, and it took me about a year and a half to figure all that out. But what I couldn't do is I couldn't move forward until I grieved the loss of my brother. I could be way off base. I don't think I am. I think that's what's going on with this quarterback. It's a guy who needs to deal with the loss because... He's, do, he's doing dumb stuff. He's being reckless. And I, I, and I just, I've been there. And if I can help that situation at all, please, um, Kai, reach out to me. And if anyone else listening can help him, send him that message. It's that, man, you got to use this experience to become a stronger person. Don't let it ruin your life. I almost did. Please don't let that happen to you. Man, that's why I love strong opinion sports. You guys don't know, you know, this... This podcast has changed my life in so many ways, um, and I just am so grateful that people watch and listen, and making videos and making content saved me, and so if, um, I, I just, I, I don't know if, I just want to help that situation. If I can, I, I really have a heart. I, I read that story and broke down crying, and uh, it just felt like the right thing to do is to talk about it a little bit. <sighs> okay, um, I, let's, that was heavy. <laughs> Uh, let's shift gears now. I want to lighten things up a little bit. I actually legitimately am very, very excited for today's show. I have a great show lined up, a lot of stuff. Like every single topic of this podcast is jam-packed full of really good stuff. Uh, we're going to talk about the NBA Finals. We're going to do a Dak Prescott film analysis. The Dallas Cowboys quarterback, he has a problem. He has a, a big problem that he can fix, but I'm going to point it out to you guys. Um, and then at the very end of the show, we're going to re-examine the eight new NFL head coaching hires uh, that were made in this offseason. Um, this whole episode, again, it's, I'm, I'm really proud of the content in this episode. And I, I, I want to ask people listening, do me a favor, follow me on Instagram. I love my Instagram stories. It's my favorite thing in the world. I want to get to 10,000 followers on Instagram because if I do that, 
I can put links to my podcast in my Instagram story. That's something I want to do. You don't have to ever, like literally you can never like a single picture I ever put on Instagram, but if you could follow me and like forget about me, that would be great because I want to get to 10,000 followers very badly. Okay, I actually want to start today with the NBA Finals. And, uh, oh my gosh, the NBA Finals are going to a sixth game. I just, I, I, first of all, I'm elated. I, I love playoff basketball. And I hope people understand how lucky we are as sports fans to have this series in front of us. The games have been relatively close. They've been fun. They've been interesting. If you told me that, if you told me in October, the beginning of the season, that the Raptors and Warriors NBA Finals was going to go to a sixth game, I would have laughed at you. I would, not, I would not have believed you. I just, man, sports in general are awesome, and sports are at their best when there are really high stakes involved. I have a hard time caring about a random baseball game on a Tuesday. I just, in June, Tuesday baseball, Zach Schaumler, I, I don't care. I just don't have an interest. I try, but I just can't get myself to watch that. But man, NBA Finals Game 6, a title on the line. We're going to get that coming up in a couple days. That's awesome to me. That is what sports are all about. That's sports at their best. I love high-stakes sports when things, when outcomes matter. That's what we're about to get in Game 6 of the NBA Finals. And both teams have a chance to win. It's still the Warriors. It's still Steph Curry. Still Klay Thompson. Still Draymond Green. But this new young, the Raptors, man, have really impressed me. But I want to talk about that idea of high stakes for a minute. Nobody yesterday in Game 5 of the NBA Finals had higher stakes than Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant is hated by not everybody, but a lot of people that are fans of the NBA do not like Kevin Durant. And that's because he joined the Golden State Warriors. Uh, right after they had a 73-win season in the 2015-16 NBA season, the Golden State Warriors went 73-9, and broke the record for regular season, regular season wins. And uh, my guess is I don't think that record's going to be broken maybe ever. Like I would, If that record was ever broken, I would be shocked. I mean, they won 89% of their games. But when Kevin Durant, one of the best players in the world, joined maybe the best play, team of all time, the best player in the world joined maybe the best team of all time. A lot of people got mad. They made the argument that it was ruining the NBA because the Warriors were just going to be far too dominant. That was the, the narrative that came out. So what happened was that Kevin Durant's personal brand was not in a great place. Because of that move, people were angry and his reputation was a little bit tainted. And then the ridiculous narrative became to surface that maybe the Warriors are better without Kevin Durant because there's some statistic somewhere. They have a better win-loss record when Kevin Durant doesn't play. Right, when Steph Curry's in and Kevin Durant is out, they had a better record. I think that's the, the, the stat. It's a ridiculous idea. It doesn't make sense. It's really stupid. I think people give numbers and statistics far too much value. They matter a little bit, and they're great things for proving an argument like for they're they're a good support structure but if the whole narrative is based on numbers i i don't care numbers are something they're not everything to me when i watch the warriors play basketball they're better with kevin durant on the court they have better spacing 
They have an easier time getting open looks from the three-point range. I mean, Kevin Durant's probably the best scorer in the world. I'm not saying he is, but there is an argument there. And when you have the maybe the best scorer and potentially the best player in the world on your team, again, I'm not saying he's the best player in the world, but there's, you can make an argument that he is. There's no way the Warriors are worse with him on their team. That's a ridiculous notion. I don't care what the, the dumb number says. Forget the number. Watch basketball. They're better with Kevin Durant. Open your eyeballs. Forget. Turn, turn your brain off sometimes. Use your eyes. Watch what you see when you watch the game. They're better with Kevin Durant. But that narrative hasn't gone away. That narrative that maybe the Warriors are better without Kevin Durant. And some people have begun to believe it. Then Kevin Durant got hurt in the NBA playoffs. And he's been out injured for a long time. So last night, he finally came back. He's been out injured for a while. But Kevin Durant's team was down in the NBA Finals. They were down three games to one, meaning that last night was an elimination game. If the Warriors lost last night, we all know their season was going to end. So Kevin Durant, who's still injured, and not fully healthy. <laughs> that's, what not in, that's what still injured means. Kevin Durant decided he was going to play. And here is where the high stakes come in. People already hate him. Plus, now there's this narrative that the Warriors are better without him, which is ridiculous. But some people legitimately believe that. And the Warriors are injured. Klay Thompson's beat up. Kevin Durant is hurt. It, there was a very good possibility that the Warriors would have lost last night. Kevin Durant took a risk by playing. If Kevin Durant plays the entire game last night, if he plays game five last night and they lose, he would have never been able to live that down. That would have stuck with him forever. It would have damaged his reputation forever moving forward if last night, Kevin Durant comes back and then they lose and people could say, well, <laughs> they lost the series in the game. Kevin Durant came back. That would have never, that would have always stuck with him. And he, this is what I love about Kevin Durant's story right now is that Kevin Durant knew that and didn't care. He said, I don't, I don't care about my personal brand right now. I don't care about what helps me. What's better for Kevin Durant was not playing basketball last night. Kevin Durant put himself aside and put his team first. And I respect that. I admire that. He said, I can help my team. I'm going to come in and play basketball. I respect that. I respect the guts to say, I'll take a risk. I will risk my personal reputation. Put my team first. It would have been very easy for him to say, I'm still hurt. I can't play and not have played. He took a chance. He played. I think that's incredibly admirable. He risked his reputation and put himself, put his team ahead of himself. I love that. Now, here's what happened. <laughs> Kevin Durant played about 12 minutes, had 11 points, uh, was three for three from three-point range, and then he got hurt, and it looked really serious. It's really sad. But before the injury, that's all I could think about was, man, I, I can't believe he's playing right now. I respect that. I admire that. It would have been so much easier for him to just not play. And it, in fact, the fact that he got hurt makes it even more outstanding to me that he did play. He took a risk. He got hurt. He probably tore his Achilles. That's what's likely to happen. We're likely going to get a report 
probably honestly between the time this podcast releases, by the time I record this podcast and get it all the way out, it'll, prob- it'll probably be public that Kevin Durant tore his Achilles. And the thing that just sticks in my head repeatedly is, man, I respect him so much for playing basketball last night in game five. I, I just you hate him if you want. I respect that the guy put his team ahead of his own personal brand and ahead of his own personal reputation. I applaud that, and, and I love that. I really, really respect that. So Kevin Durant got hurt, though. What does that mean? What does it mean moving forward now that Kevin Durant has gotten hurt? I think what it means is that not only is Kevin Durant going to stay with the Golden State Warriors, I believe it means that the Raptors are going to win the NBA Finals. I, I, look, I, I find myself rooting for the Warriors. I like dominance. I think it's, I think it's interesting. And I think the Warriors are going to want to rally around Kevin Durant. They're going to maybe have an emotional high for a little bit. But I think at the end of the day, they're too injured. They're too emotionally depleted, too demoralized. I don't think that the Warriors are going to beat the Raptors in the finals. So my prediction is the Raptors are going to win the NBA finals. And I believe that's going to have a bonding effect on the Golden State Warriors. Losing in the finals, having bad stuff happen to you, losing. It's given me tremendous friendships. It's given me tremendous relationships, community. All my closest friendships were formed through bad moments, through struggling, through loss. And I think when, when, it, when and if the Warriors lose to the Raptors in the NBA Finals, everybody on social media will, will cheer. They're going to freak out. They're going to be very excited. It's going to be an embarrassing loss to the Golden State Warriors. And people are going to make fun of them. Gonna ha ha! The Warriors lost. They're gonna celebrate, and I'm very certain that Kevin Durant is gonna look over to. He's gonna look at Clay Thompson. He's gonna look at Steph Curry. He's gonna look at Draymond Green, and they're gonna look at each other. They're gonna nod and say, "We need to win together again." Screw all this noise in the media. Screw what social media is saying. We're gonna band together and do it again, because that's what happens when you struggle and when you lose. And also, don't forget. The Warriors can offer Kevin Durant more money than any other team. When they give him a max contract, it can be worth more for more years than any other team other, can, other team can offer him in free agency. So I, I really think that this injury is a pivotal moment for the Golden State Warriors. This injury happens, then they're going to lose. And man, it's going to bring them all closer together. It's going to keep this Warriors group together. All season, we've heard the rumor and the, the kind of narrative that this is the last year of the Golden State Warriors. Either Clay is going to leave, maybe Kevin Durant's going to leave. Every, everyone talks about how who, somebody's going to leave. That's what I've been hearing, you know, rumbling forever. And now the rumor is, okay, probably Kevin Durant's going to go to the Knicks. That's what we've been hearing. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe this is what needs to happen. And maybe this, this struggle, losing in the finals, Having Kevin Durant get hurt, maybe this struggle brings them together and will help them continue to dominate the NBA moving forward. We'll see. That's my prediction. My prediction is injury leads to loss. Loss leads to them sticking together and dominating the NBA for a couple more years. That is my prediction after the Kevin Durant injury. Now, if the Raptors win, If the Raptors win the NBA Finals, 
There are a ton of ways you can look at that. There are so many narratives bouncing around. There are so many ways you can view it. Like when the, if the Raptors win the NBA Finals, how are you going to feel about it? There's a lot of ways. You can, on one end, you can feel this way. You could say, well, you know, the Raptors beat a depleted Warriors team. Is that really something to be proud of? You beat a team full of injured guys. You know, the example I would make is if Conor McGregor, who's this big time UFC fighter, if Conor McGregor got into a car accident and was injured, he's, he's, he's riding around in a wheelchair because he's hurt. If I go beat up Conor McGregor, an injured Conor McGregor who's in a wheelchair, is that really something to be proud of? I, I, I don't think so. I'll be like, hey, I beat up Conor McGregor. And my friends will be like, you monster, he's in a wheelchair. That's not an accomplishment. You're messed up. What's wrong with you? You could say that if the Raptors beat the Warriors, you could say, they don't get any credit. They beat an injured roster. They didn't have their best players on the court. You could say that if you want. Now, that, that's one perspective. Another perspective you could have is to say, well, who cares if the Warriors are hurt? A championship is a championship. The Warriors won championships against injured teams. Heck, they had to beat the depleted Blazers to get there. They beat up on the Blazers, who didn't have one of their best players. You can focus on the injuries. You can even focus on the Warriors if you want. I wouldn't do either. This is my perspective. Forget the Warriors. If the, if the Raptors win the NBA Finals, I'm going to be really impressed with the Raptors. I love the way they play basketball. Again, it has nothing to do with who they beat. It's about the Raptors. Watch them play. Their effort is unbelievable to me. I'm an athlete. I play in college. And if my college football team had the attention to detail, if they were mentally locked in and had as much effort as the Raptors do, I would be so ecstatic. I I hope to play on a team that gives as much effort as the Toronto Raptors do. You watch, if the the Warriors slip up at all when they're dribbling the ball, the Raptors are going to steal it. They they can't slip up. The, The Raptors are locked in. The defensive effort the Raptors have given in this series Blows me away. This really impresses me. Again, as an athlete, I go, man, I respect their effort and their hustle. You can tell a story about the Warriors if you want. But to me, the story is the Raptors. What they've brought to the table. The way they've grown as a team throughout the NBA playoffs. They went to seven games. The Philadelphia 76ers. Seven games. And, And watch how they've gotten better. They've played closer. They've grown as a team. Over the course of the NBA Finals, over the NBA playoffs, excuse me. Since that Raptors series, they've just, man, their cohesion's better. They're playing, they're passing the ball really well. Their defense is fantastic. They have risen to the occasion. And I look at that and go, man, their cohesion, their effort, the way they've risen to the moment. I'm impressed with the Raptors. And I, I find it really inspiring to me the way they've come together and the effort they've brought forth to the table. Don't discount them just because. The Warriors were injured. No, they've played really, really well. And I love what they've brought to the table. I find their effort really inspiring. One more final thing about the NBA Finals. Um, oh, dude, I am so sick of watching Drake. I, I hate, I do not like Drake at the NBA Finals. I find the guy so unlikable. I hate his facial expressions. I, there's a video of him talking to Kevin Durant as Kevin Durant walks off the court with an injury. I just want the guy to go away. It's awful. It's like he's third wheeling at the NBA finals. It's not cool. I, I just, you're not, you're not a part of this. You're not a player. You're not a coach. Go away. I don't, 
I know he's like some ambassador or something. I don't care. You're not a player. He's like the guy, you ever had a part of your friend group growing up? There's always that one kid who like hangs around, but you don't really want him there. He's just, he's in the background. He's annoying, but he's not really part of it. And you're like, ah, man, go away, kid. That's Drake to me in the NBA finals. I don't want him there. I don't want to watch him. I don't want to see his face. I don't want to hate his, again, I just, everything about Drake, he's, he's become incredibly unlikable to me. And I, I just, I am not a fan of the way Drake has, I think it's more the way the media has covered Drake. I just, I hate seeing Drake. I hate his facial expressions. That really bothered me. That video of him talking to Kevin Durant, he, like he looked fake. He's like pretending to be sad. Like, oh, shut up, go away. I'm not a fan of that. I just, man, the way he inserted himself into the NBA finals. Ugh. I just want to focus on basketball. I don't want to focus on some rapper that's not playing basketball. I know some people are like, it's like Spike Lee. It's some great thing. And that, that already happened once. There's a 30 for 30 documentary about it. If you want to watch Spike Lee yell at Reggie Miller, great. Go do it in the 30 for 30 documentary. I don't want to watch it now. I, it's over. I, I'm not a fan of it. I don't like it. And I hate the way Drake has conducted himself during this year's NBA finals. Not a fan at all. Okay, we're now going to shift gears to a, dra- uh, a Dak Prescott film analysis. Um, I, I just, I, I, I'm really, I'm a fan of it. Uh, quick reminder again, follow me on Instagram, at Zach Schaumler on Instagram. I want to get to 10,000 followers. That's my goal, my dream. <laughs> Not my dream, but you know, it'd be cool. Like, I really want to do that. So I want to be able to put links in my Instagram story. Okay, let's now shift gears to a Dak Prescott film analysis. I've talked about Dak Prescott before, but old videos are old. And I, I made a video a long time ago. It's called something, I think it's called like Dak Prescott can't read defenses or something like that. And, and I hate that video. It's stupid. It's old. It's kind of a stain. It's like, it's an embarrassing moment to me because it's something I said in the past that people are watching now and thinking that's my current opinion. And I, I try to own my mistakes, but I really hate that video. So this is my updated film analysis of Dak Prescott. This is how I feel today as of June 2019. I watched his entire season. I had an open mind. And I was just trying to figure out what does the film say about Dak Prescott? So when I watch Dak Prescott, the word that defines the way he plays football is discipline. He's not a flashy quarterback. But I don't think he really needs to be either. You know, Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. And it has nothing to do with how physically talented he is. It's because of, his, it's because of Tom Brady's discipline, because of Tom Brady's habits, because of his attention to detail. Who cares if Dak Prescott can't make a 50-yard no-look throw on the run? Doesn't matter. That's not, he doesn't need to do that. If he does everything else well and plays quarterback well, that's what I want to see. That, that's what matters to me. Right now, Dak Prescott is a solid quarterback with some room to grow. There's, there's definitely areas where he can get better. We're going to talk about that. But what I admire first about Dak is how obviously prepared he is. So far in his career, he has a 66% completion percentage. And it's not an accident. This is not a, a fluke. Like, oh, wow, how did he get there? That's a, those are good numbers. That's a really good statistic. And it's because he's incredibly disciplined. Dak Prescott, if you give him an easy completion underneath, he will take it. Every single time he's judicial about it. If there's an open guy, Dak's going to find him. 
And that's because he's incredibly well-prepared and he knows his offense really, really well. As a quarterback, it's easy to get bored with success. I struggled with that actually in spring ball this year. In spring ball, I'd throw a five-yard pass, a five-yard pass. I'm like, man, I haven't thrown a deep ball in a while. Dak Prescott doesn't care. Dak Prescott goes five-yard pass, five-yard pass, six-yard pass, four-yard pass, bang, bang, bang. He never gets bored with success. He doesn't fall into that trap, and I, I admire him with, for that. He's not greedy. He's just like the least greedy quarterback I've ever seen on film. He just takes what the defense gives him. Completion, 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 success, success, success. I like it. It's really, really good. It's a good trait. When you watch Dak Prescott throwing the ball next year, and he throws an eight-yard pass, a five-yard pass, know that that's a good thing. That's a good completion. And it's really funny how narratives people, like narratives in the media, shape everybody's opinion of a player. Early on in his career, he got made fun of for throwing the ball short underneath very often. But the reality is that's exactly what quarterbacks like Tom Brady and Drew Brees do. That's why they've had such long careers. Tom Brady's incredibly disciplined. It's one of his best traits. He doesn't force the ball downfield into coverage. He takes what the defense gives him. And we praise Brees. We praise Tom Brady for these things. But we use that exact same point to criticize Dak Prescott. And it's weird to me, right? If you want, again, these are good completions. Dak Prescott should be proud of the way he throws the ball underneath and steals yards over and over and over again. It's the wrong reason to criticize him. It's not the completions you see that are the problem with Dak Prescott. It's the incompletions you see. It's the throws he does not make that are the problem. This, what I'm about to say next, is why people should criticize Dak Prescott. He does not have the accuracy to throw the ball over the top into really tight windows against man coverage. That's his problem. That's the difference between Dak Prescott, who's actually down here, Dak Prescott, and really high-level elite quarterbacks. That's what Dak Prescott needs to work on. That's the big difference. The Indianapolis Colts shut down the Cowboys' offense last year. Their linebackers and safety, part of the reason was they did a really good job rallying against the run. Their linebackers made great tackles. Their safeties were there making great tackles. They, shut, they did a good job stopping Ezekiel Elliott. That's one part of the equation. But the other thing the Colts did, this is why the Cowboys could not score against the Indianapolis Colts in week 15 last year. On third down, the Colts played really tight man coverage. The Colts said, hey, Dak, if you're going to beat us, you got to do it throwing the ball downfield against our man coverage. And he couldn't. He couldn't. He has accuracy issues. Now, his mechanics are not the problem here. His mechanics are fine. They're good enough. Everybody has their own style of throwing. It's kind of like a jump shot. Some, some are obviously really bad, like Tim Tebow. Obviously terrible. Most quarterbacks have a good enough throwing motion. It's not the reason for their accuracy or inaccuracy. Accuracy takes reps. Accuracy is about throwing the ball a bunch. The way the ball comes out of your hand, the way your brain throws the ball, and the way you, just, you do it a bunch. You want to become more accurate? It's simple. Throw the ball a bunch. Just do it over and over and over again. And what Dak Prescott needs to work on is throwing the ball into really tight windows against man coverage downfield. That's what he needs to work on in the offseason. That's a fixable thing. That takes reps. That's all that is. 
Now, I was really impressed with Dak Prescott's mental side of the game. It, it uh, surprised me. It, it was a pleasant surprise. I did not expect that. Now, he didn't have much freedom to change plays. That's another thing he needs to work on. That's fine. Whatever. Dak Prescott's decision-making is on point. It's very, very impressive, actually. He's well-prepared. He makes great decisions. He had eight interceptions last year, and five of them were just passes that bounced off his wide receiver's hands. It's not like he makes a bunch. Like, eight interceptions really should have been three, probably four, because there was one that was dropped, right? He should have had four interceptions last year. Another thing Dak Prescott does, he's got really great eyes. He does not stare down throws. I, I'm just very impressed with his mental side of the game. He works all the way through his progressions. There's a, a throw against the Houston Texans. It's third and 10. There's nothing on the left side of the field. He works all the way across the field to the backside on the right side of the field and throws a curl. It's third and 10. It's a confident throw. I'm going to look left. What I want left is not there. He reset his feet, threw the ball to the right, to the curl. That's a great high-level throw. He throws the ball with great timing. He throws as the receiver's making his break, and that converts the Cowboys for a first down. He gains 11 yards on third and 10. It's a great throw. I also love the way Dak Prescott handles blitzes. Do not blitz Dak Prescott. It's a mistake. He will beat you. He will embarrass you and make you look bad. If you blitz him, he will make you pay for it. You can't fool the guy. What he knows is that if you blitz him, it means there are fewer people in coverage. I love what he does. It's perfect. If young quarterbacks do what Dak Prescott does. He does exactly what quarterbacks need to do. He calmly throws the ball to the vacated areas on the field. No big deal. You blitz me? Eh. Okay, I'll steal yards. Doesn't even phase him. That's fantastic. Again, he's on top of things mentally. He knows where all his outlets are on the field. He doesn't force the ball into coverage. This is one of the most bizarre quarterbacks I've seen in a long time because he has all the hard stuff figured out. He knows his offense really well. He makes great reads. He handles a blitz really well. He's got it figured out mentally. He's got the difficult stuff figured out. Most guys have the opposite problem. Most people are, they can throw the ball all over the field. They just cannot figure out the mental side of the NFL. No, Dak is weird because he has the opposite problem. He's got the hard stuff figured out. He needs to throw the ball more accurately. And that's why the Cowboys would occasionally make wimpy play calls on third down. Third and two against the Texans. They called a screen pass, and it was weird to me. It struck me like they didn't believe in Dak Prescott's arm. And maybe they didn't. Maybe that's exactly what it is. Now, early in the season, the Cowboys didn't have a wide receiver who could win against man coverage on the outside. Their wide receiving core was limited. But partway through the season, they traded for Amari Cooper, a receiver from the Raiders. I don't know why he didn't work with the Raiders. Not the topic of today's episode. But Amari Cooper had an immediate impact on the Cowboys offense. Just like that, they had a wide receiver who could win one-on-one matchups downfield on the outside against corners. And occasionally, Dak made some really nice throws to him against man coverage. But it was not consistent enough. Moving forward now, there are no excuses for Dak Prescott. He has a primary target, a really good wide receiver, who can beat man coverage. You can't say it's the wide receivers anymore. What he needs to work on is becoming more accurate. Again, week 15, 
against the Colts, had Amari Cooper, still got shut down. One final critique you can look at, if you watched Dak Prescott last year, this is something you can look for. Sometimes Dak Prescott does not step into his throws. Right as he's about to get hit, he'll fade away to avoid contact. His accuracy will fall off a cliff. He, he falls away, his accuracy drops off tremendously, he throws incompletions. Next year, this could be a very, there could be some big moment where he needs to make a throw in a critical moment and he doesn't because he falls away. If he doesn't step into his throw, it could cost him and it could cost the Dallas Cowboys. I've talked about this with quarterbacks before. I love it when a guy steps into pressure. Baker Mayfield does a great job stepping into pressure. Dak Prescott doesn't. Now that's something you can work on. That's a a critique you can watch. But I really respect Dak's ability to read defenses. His mental preparation is on point. The major issue the guy has is his accuracy downfield. It limits him. He can become more accurate. If he can, it could bring him to the next level as a quarterback. But if he doesn't become more accurate, it will begin to become something that defense is game plan for. The Colts laid out a template for how to shut down Dak Prescott. Stop the run, play tight man coverage, make Dak beat you over the top. And if, you, if Dak doesn't, then you'll beat Dak Prescott on the Cowboys. That's the template right there, is what the Colts did week 15. One last point I want to make is that I believe it's likely the Cowboys want to wait before they give their quarterback a contract. If they do, in fact, give Dak Prescott a contract this offseason, it would be the Cowboys saying one of a couple things. Either they're saying, we're paying him now because we believe he's going to improve. We're going to pay him now before he's more expensive later because we think he's going to fix his accuracy issues. Or it would be the Cowboys saying, we're comfortable with his limitations. We're okay with it. And as long as they have a great running game, they can live with it. I mean, his accuracy over the top is what his game is missing, but obviously he can still win without it. But it is a limiting factor. So I like Dak. I think he's good mentally. But he needs to be more accurate against man coverage. Okay, uh, I want to talk about Baker Mayfield. Um, People didn't like or they didn't understand why I compared Baker Mayfield to Tom Brady and Drew Brees. They're like, ah, he's a rookie. How could you compare a rookie quarterback to guys who've been in the league for years? I'll tell you why. The reason I did that is because Drew Brees and Tom Brady are the best. They are the standard of which everybody else should be measured against. Hello? I'm not going to compare Baker Mayfield to Sam Darnold. It's moot. It's pointless. They're both rookie quarterbacks. doesn't mean anything. You got to think bigger than that. Some people are even saying that they would rather have Baker Mayfield as their quarterback. They would rather have Baker than Russell Wilson. And if people are going to start saying that and compare him to Russell Wilson at the top of the top, let's cut the crap. Let's skip the BS. Let's just compare Baker to the best. Because the question is not, is he the best rookie quarterback? doesn't matter. He's not even a rookie quarterback anymore. The question is, how far is Baker Mayfield from becoming an elite quarterback, from becoming the best? And can he? 
That's a question I wanted to answer. I don't, I'm not interested with Baker versus Sam Darnold. It's pretty clear. I think Baker's ahead of Sam Darnold. Like, I mean, duh. I'm not going to just sit there and, you know, be very nice to Baker. Maybe I'll say, well, he's better than Sam Darnold. Uh, that's what maybe you want to hear nice things about Baker. Great. But I wanted to cut the crap and be honest about it. I just want to, I don't want to just praise Baker because he's better than other young quarterbacks. I think the, the comparison I would make here is like, you say your kid's a great reader. He's the best reader in his kindergarten class. Like, congratulations, I guess. But I don't think most kids in kindergarten even can read. So like the competition sucks. How about you compare your kid to the fifth graders? Is he a good reader compared to fifth graders? Because that's really, if he's reading in kindergarten better than fifth graders, oh man, then yeah, he's a really good reader. That could be just a dumb analogy, but I, I just don't care how much better Baker is than Sam Darnold. The video I made wasn't about that. The video was, how far off is Baker Mayfield from becoming an elite quarterback? I wanted to compare Baker to the best. I thought it was just pointless to do anything else. And so that's what I did. I got a lot of comments saying, you know, how could you compare him? You know, they've been in the league 20 years. Of course, he's not as good. Yeah, of course. But I was trying to lay out a roadmap of how Baker can get to the next level and how Baker can eventually become an elite level quarterback. And if you missed that, you missed the point of the video I made and the point of that film analysis of Baker Mayfield. I I just want to put that out there because I don't read a lot of comments. I rarely respond to comments. Um, I think someday it'd be fun to do a segment like responding to comments because some of them are insightful or interesting, or legitimately good questions. And some of them are dumb questions and dumb comments. And I thought the comments saying, how could you compare Baker to Breeze and Brady? I thought that was a dumb question. I was like, because they're the best. And that's the standard. And that's what we're trying to figure out, how far Baker is from becoming them. Okay, uh, sorry for the rant. I just, uh, God, people are, I don't know. I'm not going to trash my audience. I'm glad. I love you guys. Glad you watch. I just thought those comments were dumb. I just was, I, I was like, you are worried about the wrong thing. If that's, if that's the comment you leave on the video, you missed the entire point. Um, final topic of the day. Let's revisit the eight new head coaches that were hired this offseason. So this offseason, this offseason, eight new NFL head coaches were hired. And what I did at the time is I ranked them. I ranked them, and I, I don't want to do that anymore. I, a lot has happened since then. Uh, you know, I, I was going to re-rank them, but I decided I don't want to do that because, you know, the NFL draft happened, free agency happened, and I changed as a broadcaster. I just, I have no desire to rank them anymore. I just don't care. I think all of them are good hires, and that's the point. Like, what you want to hear is, because I, I, I truly believe this, I think every coach that was hired made sense to me, and I think they all have a chance to win games. The question is, the question you care about and the question I care about is, will this head coach make a difference with wins and losses? That's what I care about. And, and again, I think that's what you care about. So what I did is I used a website because um, I'm dumb. I didn't trust my judgment. I didn't want to put them in alphabetical order myself and screw up. I looked up a website and they put the eight teams in alphabetical order. And so that's the order in which we are going to talk about the new head coaches in the NFL. But I want to I go through all of them and decide and let you know whether I think the head coaching hires are going to make an impact on wins and losses. So let's start with the Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals hired a new head coach, Zach Taylor. What I love about Zach Taylor, he spells his name Z-A-C. It's exactly how I spell my name. Right off the bat, got brownie points. Um, I, I like the hire, right? He's the former Rams quarterback coach. He's a young guy. He's 36. He's very creative. He's been around 
the Rams head coach, Sean McVay, a lot. So again, we assume he's going to be creative like Sean McVay. So on paper, it makes sense. You say he's got a good offensive mind. And the belief is that he can help the Bengals' older quarterback, Andy Dalton, and kind of revitalize his career. Going to get new schemes, a new offense, some creativity, use the wide receivers the Bengals have. They have some good weapons. Use them better. Yeah, it makes sense to me. John Ross, I think, could be used a lot better than they did last year. And I also love the head coaching hire because the Bengals finally took a risk and made a necessary change and said, what we're doing isn't working. We're tired of mediocrity. This might be a bad decision, but let's try it and see if it works. I like that. However, I don't think that hiring Zach Taylor is going to dramatically change the fortune of the Cincinnati Bengals. I wish it did. It makes a lot of sense on paper. I think the offense is going to be fun to watch and probably a little better than they've been in the past. Creative, fun, John Ross getting catches. It's going to be more competitive, sure, but I, I still don't think Andy Dalton is going to be what he needs to be, right? Like, I don't think Andy Dalton is an elite quarterback. He's okay. He's good. He'll be better with this scheme. That's not enough. And the other problem is, so they have Andy Dalton. Like, who, no matter who the coach is, one, Andy Dalton is still your quarterback. And two is this. The Bengals play in the AFC North against the Steelers, the Ravens, the Browns. Can't believe I'm saying it. The Browns are good now. The Bengals, I think, are going to be last in their division. And they're more a victim of circumstance than they are a victim of bad coaching. I think Zach Taylor could be a great coach. But if he's a great coach and he has a mediocre quarterback and plays in a really tough division, they're not going to win more games. So I love the hire. I don't think Zach Taylor is going to impact the Bengals and bring them to a bunch more wins. The next one I want to talk about, because we're going in alphabetical order, is the Denver Broncos. The Broncos hired Vic Fangio to be their new head coach. And man, I since the draft... And since NFL free agency has happened, I have come to love this hire. Um, I love because one, they have, I love what they're doing on offense. We'll get to that in a minute. But first of all, Vic Fangio Fangio is a great defensive coach, right? He's a really good defensive mind. He knows football schematically on defense. He was last year, the Bears defensive coordinator. They were fantastic. And what the Broncos have is really good defensive personnel. Vic Fangio has a bunch of weapons with the Broncos defense, you know, most like the most clear to me are Bradley Chubb and Von Miller. He's going to use them and they're going to get a lot of pressure. And I think do a lot of good things. I love that. I think Vic Fangio running the people in Denver on defense. That's a, that's a match made to succeed. I like that. But what changed in free agency was the quarterback situation for the Broncos. Rich Gangarello is the Denver Broncos offensive coordinator he's been around Kyle Shanahan the 49ers head uh, head coach he was Jimmy Garoppolo's offensive coordinator uh, excuse me quarterback coach I like Rich Gangarello I like who he is I like his background it gives me um some good feeling I just it's a gut sense I'm like ah I like his background I think that makes sense to me but they also have a veteran quarterback Joe Flacco they traded for Joe Flacco and they drafted a quarterback Drew Locke from Missouri in the second round I love everything that the Broncos are doing on offense. Their defense is great. Their defense was going to be great. But last year, the problem wasn't the defense in Denver. The problem was Case Keenum was their quarterback and their offense sucked. Defense is going to be great. And I think what Vic Fangio does to the defense is allows them to have an opportunity to stop teams like the Chargers and the Chiefs in their division, right? Vic Fangio 
gives them their best chance to win the division. But it's also only going to happen because they have Joe Flacco at quarterback. Having Joe Flacco at quarterback brings stability. I think he's a lot better than Case Keenum. I like that. I think Rich Gangarello, he's a good offensive mind. I like that. And then the best part of this is, and actually I met with someone, a good friend of mine played a defensive end at Missouri. We had lunch the other day. And he, he spoke really highly of Drew Locke. He's like, dude, Drew Locke is going to be a stud. He's, he really believes in him. And this is a, usually a guy on defense doesn't necessarily always believe in the quarterback. My friend believes in Drew Locke. He played with him. Look him up, Marcel Frazier. And I think it's possible that Drew Locke years from now is going to be looked at as a steal. They got him in the second round. And the best part about it is Joe Flacco can play right now. And it gives Drew Locke time to sit and learn and prepare and get better. I love everything about what the Broncos are doing. I think their defensive hire, their defensive head coach, Vic Fangio, is great. Again, they have a good defense that can stop teams in their, in their league, in their, in their division. And their offense has got good people in running it. Rich Gangarello is a good offensive coordinator. They have Joe Flacco, which buys their young rookie quarterback time. Drew Locke has time to develop and get better. Everything about it. I love what the Broncos are doing. I think they're headed in the right direction. And Vic Fangio gives them the best chance to win games of any coach they could have hired. Now, the third team I want to talk about is the Browns. The Browns hired Freddie Kitchens. Um, and you can go a lot of ways with this. Honestly, there's a lot of wild cards here. On one hand, you could say, well, this is a rookie head coach. A guy who's never been a head coach before. Coaching a locker room full of personality. Could be a mess. He's never been a head coach before. But also, it's not like Freddie Kitchens has never been in a locker room before. He's, he's been around football most of his life. He also has been around Bruce Arians. Bruce Arians is one of my favorite head coaches of all time. I'm sure he learned a lot from Bruce Arians. And I'm sure they still talk. And I'm sure... My point is this. I don't think Freddie Kitchens is an idiot. Just because he's never been a head coach before doesn't necessarily mean he doesn't know how to handle a locker room. He also worked with Baker Mayfield last year as the Browns' offensive coordinator, which means that he has rapport with Baker Mayfield. They, they like each other. They get along. And that's why I think this could work. Baker is the heart and soul of the Cleveland Browns' locker room. Everybody follows him. And if everybody, excuse me, if everybody follows him, if Odell Beckham Jr., if Jarvis Landry, if everybody on that team submits to Baker as their leader and follows him, it's going to work. And I do think that's what's going to happen because I think people want to cheer for Baker. People want Baker to succeed. Odell Beckham Jr. got away from Eli Manning. He wants Baker to be the man. I think he's going to submit to Baker. And if everybody follows Baker and you have a head coach, Freddie Kitchens, who can call Baker into his office, hey, Baker, can we talk real quick? And then if there's drama, they can figure it out together how to deal with it. I think they have a really talented roster. They could win their division. And I think actually the relationship between Baker and Freddie Kitchens could be why this works. Everyone looks to Freddie Kitchens as the problem with the Browns, a rookie head coach. He's been around football before, but most importantly, he's got a good relationship with their leader, the heart and soul of their team, Baker Mayfield. And if you have Baker on your side, that's what matters. I think Baker likes Freddie. Baker defends Freddie. Their relationship matters. And I think that's why this could work. So I, I think I'm much higher on the Freddie Kitchens hire than most people. And I think the Browns have a chance to win their division. Talent, heart, soul, Baker, good schemes. It's all, I, I love all of it. Next, let's talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This was the best hire 
this offseason in the entire NFL. If every coach was an A, Bruce Arians, hiring Bruce Arians, the Tampa Buccaneers got an A+. What I love about Bruce Arians, one, he's, he's no BS. He's my kind of guy. He swears on the radio all the time. He always gets in trouble. Um, but I, he's a guy who's won in the NFL before. He's got good morals. He, he, doesn't, he always talks about how we're going to work smarter, not harder. He doesn't sleep in his office. He's one of those guys who believes in family. I, I love everything about his values. But he saved the end of Carson Palmer's career in Arizona with the Cardinals. Carson Palmer flummoxed and struggled with the Raiders. He went to Arizona. They got, he got paired up with Bruce Arians, and they were ridiculously good. In 2014, oh, man, if you're a Cardinals fan, you know what I'm talking about. That team was unreal. And they, if, if Carson hadn't been injured, man, they could have won a Super Bowl. They just, there were years where like, they had so many chances, and Carson just couldn't stay healthy at the end of his career. Um, and, and eventually, Bruce Arians retired when Carson Palmer walked away from football. But I, I, love, I love Bruce Arians. Again, he's a no BS kind of guy. He doesn't tolerate your drama and your stupidity. He's like, let's, get to, let's nip this in the bud and deal with it. He cut Gerald McCoy. They had a, a great, fantastic defensive tackle. Bruce Arians said, well, now we're paying him too much. Get him out of here. Cut him. <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, not great for Gerald McCoy, but like, hey, that's, I res- that's a guy who is taking charge of his franchise. And the Buccaneers quarterback, Jameis Winston, needs that. Jameis Winston has been an embarrassing mess since he got to the NFL. I, I am not impressed at all with the way he's conducted himself off the field. He's been average and mediocre on the field. Again, he's really talented. It's the, the talent level's there. But the problem with Jameis Winston has been immaturity. And Bruce Arians is not going to put up with that. And I think Bruce Arians is exactly the coach that could whip this guy into shape. He's also a good offensive mind. He understands coaches. He understands quarterbacks. Excuse me. He worked with Andrew Luck. He worked with a, a lot of young quarterbacks. I just really like the way. I think he worked with both Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck when they were rookie quarterbacks. That's awesome. But I think the Buccaneers may surprise people. They're, they have a talented quarterback who just needs guidance. They have a coach who can bring them guidance. And I think they actually, believe it or not, have a chance to win their division. Good roster, good offense. Are the Atlanta Falcons and the Panthers really that good? Yeah, the Saints are incredible. But everybody else, mm, they have a chance to beat them. So again, I just go back to, I think Bruce Arians was an incredible hire. And he's going to have a huge impact on the Buccaneers moving forward in their season. The Cardinals hired Cliff Kingsbury, the former head coach of Texas Tech. And uh, I think he's, this coach is better suited to be an NFL head coach than a college head coach. Um, he was never great at recruiting, never good at the dumb administrative stuff that comes along with you know, fundraising. and all. There's all this BS on the side to have to deal with if you're a head coach in college. Now, Cliff Kingsbury can just focus on the game. And more specifically, Cliff Kingsbury can focus on offense. Uh, there's a, a huge part of this hire that no one's really talking about. Not only did the, the Cardinals hire Cliff Kingsbury on one side, on offense, they hired Vance Joseph to be their defensive coordinator. Vance Joseph last year was the Broncos head coach, and he's a good head coach. The problem was never the defense in Denver. The problem was they couldn't win games because their quarterback, Case Keenum, sucked. He was awful. Eh, awful strong. He was never good enough, though. Well, I love the pairing in Arizona because 
Cliff Kingsbury can run the offense. He's a great creative offensive coach. They drafted a quarterback, Kyler Murray, number one overall. I think he's an incredible talent. Offense taken care of. And Cliff can do the offense and lead the defense to Vance Joseph. Vance Joseph can take care of the defense. It's a great marriage. Not to mention Vance Joseph having been a head coach before and been around the league for years, I think has, he has valuable wisdom he can bring to the table to help Cliff Kingsbury if Cliff Kingsbury is willing to listen. So all this being said, you know, I, I don't know that next year the Cardinals are going to have a fantastic, maybe, but I don't, I don't see a, a Super Bowl or a playoff win or anything like that from the Cardinals. But what I see is a chance for them to begin their rebuild. Their rebuild is starting. And I think it could work long term. I think eventually they're going to win a lot of games because, again, their, their delegation's great. I love their system. And I really like their quarterback and their head coach. All in all, I really like the hire the Cardinals did. And don't just focus on the head coach. Who they hired as defensive coordinator really matters. And I think they could work together and work really well together. The Dolphins hired Brian Flores to be their new head coach. And uh, this is the one I'm the most, at least especially when it happened, I was the most lukewarm on. I was like, who is this guy? I don't know. I don't care. Um, He's a defensive-minded head coach. Last year, he was the Patriots' defensive play caller. Um, And he was really a big part of how the Patriots shut down the Rams' offense in the Super Bowl. Their game plan was fantastic. He runs a very disciplined very good scheme on defense, but the discipline was a, really mattered to me last year with the Patriots. If he can duplicate that in, in Miami, if their defense can be that disciplined and have the same success as the Patriots last year, I'd be impressed. That'd be awesome. Another interesting and important piece of the puzzle is Chad O'Shea, the Dolphins' offensive coordinator. He's a longtime Patriots guy. He was Tom Brady's quarterback coach. Here's why all of this could work. I think Brian Flores is a good defensive coach. I really like his mind. But what we know last year from the Denver Broncos, having a good defense is not enough. It's not really... uh, So what? If you have a great defense and your quarterback sucks, you're not going to win. Again, ask the Denver Broncos last year. It was so apparent Case Keenum was the problem. But now the Dolphins have veteran quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick. And not only do they have Ryan Fitzpatrick, they also have a young second-year quarterback, a first-round pick, former first-round pick, Josh Rosen. I love it. I love it. I think that not only can Ryan Fitzpatrick help them win now, he knows the NFL, he's never really be, he's He finally gets a shot. I think he had a chance to start last year with, uh, a while ago with the Jets. I don't know. My point is this. I think Ryan Fitzpatrick is perfectly suited for what he needs to do with the Dolphins. Play for a year or two and buy time so for Josh Rosen to prepare and get better, and eventually become the next starting quarterback of the Miami Dolphins. He's waiting in the wings, but having Ryan Fitzpatrick there, a guy who's capable, who can win, who's better than most, than a, he's, probably, he's, better, he's probably at least, if nothing else, the best backup in the NFL, but he's, he's a capable starter, and I, I think I'd have him over a couple quarterbacks in if I don't know, I don't care, but I like Ryan Fitzpatrick a lot as a quarterback. He can win games. But having Josh Rosen waiting in the wings and not having the pressure of him playing right away is so good for him. He can prepare. He can get better. He can take his time. I, I like it. Um, I actually think that it's likely that, at least early on, the Dolphins are more successful than the Bills and the Jets because their quarterback is older. They have a better defensive, head, a better defensive coach. Um, I think that it's possible the Dolphins get are, are second in the AFC East next year. And now, long-term years from now, I don't know how things work out, but I think immediately the Dolphins could have a little bit of success because of their quarterback 
And if they can work things out and have a good defense under Brian Flores, I like, what, I like the direction they're headed. But most importantly is, again, they brought in Josh Rosen, the quarterback of the future, and they're doing it right. They're allowing him to sit. They're allowing him to wait. And he, it buys him time to prepare and do it the right way and eventually become the quarterback instead of having to pressure now. Like last year in Arizona, they put him out there too early. He wasn't ready, and I think it hurt him. So again, I, I think, does it impact wins and losses with the Dolphins? I think it could initially because of the quarterback, the defense, all of it. I, I like the direction the Dolphins are headed. Two, court, two uh, coaching hires left. The Jets hired Adam Gase to be their head coach, and I love this hire. Um, I don't care if it's just me. I think I'm the only one who loves it. I know that. Uh, I, I think it's a very good hire. Uh, the Jets have a young quarterback, Sam Darnold, and Adam Gase is good with quarterbacks. Enough said. That's, that's exa- if I'm a young coach, I want exactly a guy like Adam Gase. Um, Sam, I think their, their personalities work well. Adam Gase is a weird, quirky guy. It works, but he is quirky. Now, I've been around Sam Darnold. I was around him growing up. We went to Elite 11 quarterback camps together. He's very, very coachable. He's a guy who listens, who follow, he does his job. He doesn't talk back. He doesn't have a huge ego. That, I think, is going to work well. His temperament works well with Adam Gase. And Adam Gase, again, for all his quirks, weird guy, it works. The dude won a game last year against the Bears' incredible defense with Brock Osweiler at quarterback. Adam Gase is a competent, good head coach. He's weird. He's quirky. The eyeball thing was weird to me. I don't know what to, to make of that. But it does, whatever he does works. He be, he's consistently beat the Patriots throughout the course of his career. The reason why he did not work with the Dolphins, you know, Adam Gase was the Dolphins quarterback previously. The reason why it didn't work with the Dolphins was that he never had the right quarterback. Ryan Tannehill, really the point is that Adam Gase got paired with the wrong quarterback. Ryan Tannehill, his quarterback, was injured all the time. And if you're paired with the wrong guy, you're screwed. You're, you're just screwed. I, I think Ryan Tannehill was not the guy. Didn't work. He was always hurt. Doesn't matter how good a coach you have. If your quarterback's not healthy and not available to play, you're not going to win games. And how do you get better if you're not playing? I think that was the problem that Ryan Tannehill ran into. But now Adam Gase is paired with a quarterback I like and believe in, Sam Darnold. Been around Sam, played catch with him. He's a good dude. Works hard. I haven't seen him since high school, but I, I just respect him a ton. Um, and I think they're going to work well together. And eventually, I think the Jets, especially when Tom Brady moves away from their division, when, ty- when Tom Brady retires, man, the Jets have an opportunity to win significantly. I like it. I like the direction the Jets are headed. I think Adam Gase was the right hire for Sam Darnold and the right hire for the New York Jets. Despite his weirdness, despite his quirkiness, it works. Finally, the Packers hired Matt LaFleur to be their new head coach. And the Packers are such an interesting team. Uh, Matt LaFleur is a great offensive mind. He's got a lot of good schemes. Uh, creative. He's really creative. He, his receivers, I think, are going to be open. And in free agency, the Packers improved their defense tremendously. The two big problems in the, last, in the recent years with the Packers have been their defense sucks and their offense is boring and stagnant that relies too much on Aaron Rodgers. Well, now they have a creative offensive mind, a creative head coach who's going to do more than just rely on Aaron Rodgers to win the game with his arm. They have a good defense. I really like what they're doing on defense. So problem solved and problem solved. The only question now, the number one wild card to me is Aaron Rodgers. Is Aaron Rodgers coachable enough to work with Matt LaFleur? Aaron Rodgers is 35 years old. 
And Matt LaFleur is 39. Will Aaron Rodgers listen to and respect his head coach? Are they too close in age? And would, will Aaron Rodgers, frankly, will he respect anybody? I don't know. So I, I think there's a lot of ways this could work out. Again, it could be great. They could have a great defense. They could get, they, maybe they sack Kirk Cousins a bunch. Mitchell Drabisky's running for his life, and their offense shreds the Bears. It's possible, right? They have a good scheme, a good defense, and a great quarterback. The ingredients are there, but do those ingredients mix? That's the question. It's a million-dollar question. So I think either the Packers are a home run, they shred the NFC North, and they dominate, or a terrible implosion is coming. It's one or the other. It's either great. I like the hire. I think the hire is exactly what you had to do. You had to get a creative offensive coach. If the Packers fail, it will not be because of their coach. And and maybe it will be, but I think the problem is it will be Aaron Rodgers' unwillingness to listen to his coach and unwillingness to be coachable. If the Packers don't succeed, the reason will be Aaron Rodgers' attitude. I doubt it will be because their coach is inept. I think Matt LaFleur is a great, head, uh, a great offensive coach. Their defense is great. It's all there. The question is, do the ingredients mix? So that is how I feel about all eight new NFL head coaching hires. I think they all made sense. I like them. The question was, are they going to affect wins? And I think some of them will, some of them won't. I already talked about that. Um, but again, I think Bruce Arians was by far the best NFL head coaching hire this NFL offseason. Guys, uh, that's my show. That's everything I have. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Um, I-, I talked uh, at the beginning of the show about a heavy topic. I want to end the show with a heavy topic too. Is If you're struggling, please go get help. It's maybe the most um, important thing to me in, in the world is if you're struggling, go talk to somebody. My brother um, committed suicide years ago. Three years ago now, a little over three years ago, February 8, 2016. It will stick with me forever. I'm going to get my phone because I got to find the suicide hotline. You, you would think I know it by heart. I don't. Um, but I, I just have. My brother and I played Halo every single day. Uh, sorry, my brother and I played Halo every single week together. And uh, my brother never told me once in those times we were playing Halo that he was struggling. And it makes me sad. And there, there are two reasons this could happen. One is my brother didn't talk about it, didn't share struggles. And so that's why I encourage people, if you're struggling, go get help. Go talk to somebody. Go, go seek professional help. Maybe your friends are great. If, you, if you're not comfortable with that, go just talk to somebody. Share your struggles. Don't let it get to where my brother was, where my brother took his life and no one had any idea that was coming up. But the other thing is this, is I wish that my brother had had more comfort talking to me. I wish I'd, he'd known that, hey, the door's open, man. If you're struggling, I'm here to listen to you. And so I encourage you, tell your friends you care about them. Tell your friends you love them. Tell your friends you're there for them to talk to them. I, I just want to say suicide. I got to find it. So I have to, by the way, if I talk about suicide on video, um, I'm supposed to tell you what the hotline is because that's literally like a, a law you have to, is you have to just share the hotline. The hotline is 1-800-273-8255. one 273 That is a suicide hotline. But more importantly, man, talk to people in your life. For the common person, tell your friends you love them. Tell your friends you're there for them if they're struggling. If you are struggling, if you're in a dark place and you're listening to this, reach out to somebody. Please do not suffer in silence. Don't keep your struggles a secret. Tell someone in your life, please go get help. My brother never went and got help, never went and talked to anybody. I just found him dead in his room one day, and it was awful. So uh, that, that's how I want to end the show is if you're struggling, go get help. And make sure the people in your life know that if they're struggling, you're there to help them. 
Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for listening. I, I just uh, love doing this show, man. It's my favorite thing. Um, I, I, I just, I love you guys. I'm so glad I get to do this as my job now. Um, and uh, thank you to the people on Patreon and PayPal who support me. Uh, my name is Zach Schaumler. Love you so much. And uh, see you next week. Bye. I just want to say thank you so very much for tuning in. My name is Zach Schaumler. Uh, this is my podcast, Strong Opinion Sports. It is my favorite thing in the entire world. And uh, my dream is to someday build Strong Opinion Sports into a company that I can run as my full-time job. And if you believe in me, if you believe in that dream, please do me a huge favor. Help me grow by telling your friends about the show. Share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, whatever it is. Help me grow by telling your friends about Strong Opinion Sports. Um, another way you can help if you want to, no pressure. Um, I have a PayPal, paypal.me forward slash Zach Schaumler. I also have a Patreon account, patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. It'd be a huge help. Um, that's my only source of income. If you have no money, no problem though. I don't care. I, I'm a broke college kid myself. I know what it's like. Um, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, man, I don't expect anything. I just really, it'd be a huge help if you could tell your friends about Strong Opinion Sports. That's the number one way you can help this show is help me grow by telling your friends about this podcast.